Friends, you are listening to Jared James Nichols. That is his new single. It's called Last Chance. And I'm telling you, Jared just rocks. He's a young guy, 27, 28, but he plays with an old soul. No doubt about it. He's tapped in, man. He's tapped into the fire, the passion. He gets the power of the electric guitar. He gets the power of a cranked amplifier. He gets the power of throwing the pick away and never looking back and getting all these sounds from his fingertips. I hope you enjoy this episode. I really, really must thank Audio-Technica, and you should too, because they make so many episodes happen for us here at No Guitar Is Safe. This one is brought to you by Audio-Technica's awesome E-Series in-ear monitoring headphones. Remember, Audio-Technica, man, they've been making microphones and headphones for 50 years. Not only that, but they're an industry leader, so they know what they're doing. And you ought to check out these things, such as the the top-of-the-line E70, which you can win. The E70 retails for $399 and has three balanced armature drivers in each ear. That's right. You will have the most pristine sound presentation in your skull. And if you want to enter to win one, head over to guitarplayer.com slash Jared. That's guitarplayer.com slash J-A-R-E-D. D, and you could win an E70. You could also win an E50, which retails for half the price at $199 and has a single balanced armature driver, but yet is still a hugely popular choice amongst professionals who can afford anything they want. I recommend you check out all these things at audio-technica.com, including the E40, which gets you in the game for $99. Just $99, and you have a badass push-pull driver in each side of your head. Good stuff. Good for the sound person mixing, great for the co-musicians on stage, clear sound for everyone, including you and including your audience, audio-technica.com. So yeah, I'm kind of a car guy, so man, I just, when Jared James Nichols shows up to our interview at Swing House Studios in the Los Angeles slash Glendale area, he's driving in on a 61 Ford Falcon and he man he pristinely rebuilt that thing himself he even popped the hood for me and that engine is so clean I was very impressed but what impressed me most is not the fact that he had this dope ass old car because you see a lot of people driving those around in Hollywood but that he Jared drives this thing to Vegas and back and man, if you know that drive from Los Angeles to Vegas, well, you know, there's that's like four and a half hours of sand and 100 degree plus temperatures. Not a whole lot of service stations or places to pull over if anything goes wrong, man. We're talking about narrow highways through the desert. So I'm impressed that Jared would do that. That's the Pepsi challenge right there. That is the test. But it also is emblematic of Jared's old soul. And he gets it. He really understands the power of simplicity, and he brings it on this episode. I'm sure you're going to find that out for yourself when you hear the different sounds he gets out of just just a P90, really, and an Epiphone Les Paul. I got the Music Man Cutlass running into a Black Star amp. He's running into a different Black Star amp. 
We're at Swing House, and we are totally rocking out. We do a lot of playing, and he shows you a lot of techniques. And wow, he's on tour, too. I want you to check out his tour dates. So many. He's on tour opening for Saxon and UFO starting September 22nd. September 22nd at the Newton Theater in Newton, New Jersey. The next night, the Paramount in Huntington, New York. September 24th, Baltimore Soundstage. 26th of September, the Theater Living Arts in Philadelphia. This thing goes on at least till his homecoming headliner, where it must be a solo gig at Shank Hall in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's pretty much where Jared grew up. Gosh, what a great cat. His new album, Black Magic, comes out in October. My name is Jude Gold. This is episode 57 of No Guitar Is Safe podcast. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Phil Collin of Def Leppard. Man, I learned a lot from that. Wow, all that cool stuff about working with John Mutt Lang, the super producer. Good stuff, everybody. I hope you dug that. Again, Jude underscore gold. That's me on Instagram. I'll put up some photos and stuff. Also on Twitter, Jude underscore gold. Of course, we'll also put up videos and stuff as well at the uh, No Guitar Is Safe Facebook page. And again, enter to win an Audio-Technica E-Series in-ear monitoring headphone set at guitarplayer.com slash Jared. All right, thanks for listening. Let's power up the copter and head over to Swing House Studios in Los Angeles, California. sensitive now.
I love it. Jerry Jane oh, Nickel. Jude, thank you for having me. Thanks for doing it, brother. Yeah, man. That was awesome, man. It's really cool to see how just, I mean, sometimes if you're not paying attention, it looks like you have a pick in your hand. So true. So true. Because you do attack the string sometimes like like you're picking, but oh, yeah. really your finger style pretty much 100% of the time now? Or? Yeah. Um, the only time like I really use a pick anymore is like if... You know, if we're in the studio and I have to do like an acoustic thing or if there's like some certain reason that because sometimes and I get it, like a lot of guys will be like, man, you got to use a pick on some stuff. And it does have its point and its place, especially for like intricate, intricate stuff. But as of now, I am 100 for eight years, 100 percent pick free. That's funny. I mean, even if I'm playing with a classical guitarist or Mm -hmm. anyone who doesn't play with a pick, I always feel a little bit like (laughs) a crude Neanderthal playing with a pick. Although, for the record, I play all the time without a pick. Yeah, I know. You're, you're a demon without a pick, so you, you don't count. They, well, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm a demon, but they... <laughs> yeah, man. But yeah, yeah, you know, the, the touch, the fingernails, or the fingertips on the strings, that's a... Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I People always go to me, man, don't you break your nails all the time? And honestly, I don't use my nails whatsoever when I play. It's literally just the fingertips. It's just the pads of like... Uh, it's mostly like my thumb and my index. Do you think maybe you could mm-hmm. give us just a little primer on someone who really was, if they were thinking about Absolutely. ditching the pick and rocking out as hard as you do? What oh, are some, man. Like, when you're doing the pseudo pick thing, how are you actually attacking the strings for that? This is a thing. Like, when you play with a guitar pick, right, usually you have, like, the alternate picking, like, down, up, down, up. I think about that. Like, my thumb is going to be my down. The index is the up. So you literally... Right. So you have this. And when you have that kind of technique, you can really get that... But the thing is, you think about these two, down, up, down, up, and then if you want to get crazy, you can add a third in, which you really can't do with a pick to get more like the rolly stuff that... Right, so that's you know? thumb, index, middle right yeah, there. Yeah, thumb, index, middle, and uh, you can get all sorts of crazy, man, because with, uh, with, you know, with the fingers, what you can't do with a pick, you know, you can really pop and slap the strings. And uh, one of my biggest influences in doing it was Albert King. You know, he had that thing where he could pull up on the strings, so you... So you, when you use your fingers, you get like a almost like a different kind of tone, not from actual, you know. A lot of people think to themselves, you know, it's all about your uh, left hand when you're playing guitar. But, you know, honestly, with the right, you can get... You know, it's just... All that's done with just these two fingers, you know? Damn, you're making it. Whoa. First, I just love seeing play, seeing people play Les Paul. And that's like a, maybe your new Epiphone. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's getting to be. You know, it's uh, I started working with uh, the Epiphone people recently, and they sent me this, and I butchered it. And it's a great guitar, man. I was gonna say I love people playing a Les Paul as if it's like a Telecaster or a Strat. In other words, getting all these crazy sounds out yes. of it. I think a lot of Les Paul players sometimes just. 
I mean, a Les Paul can be cushy. It's like a Cadillac or something. You don't want to get too comfortable with that. Like, mm-hmm. you're off-roading, man. You're jumping curbs and shit in your Cadillac. and It's amazing. That, that's the thing, and with guitar in general, because, you know, there's all these preconceived notions about guitars and the way you play blues, the way you play rock, how you're supposed to do things. And the biggest thing for me with guitar is, like, I want it to be like, you know, like, you're on a roller coaster and you don't know what's happening next. And don't get me wrong, I make mistakes all the time, but it's like how you rebound off those mistakes and how you recover. Because like when I'm playing a solo or when I'm playing guitar in general, I want it to be as exciting as possible. So I don't really know what I'm gonna do until I do it, you know? I know what you're saying, man. There's nothing more exciting than watching a downhill skier almost wipe out exactly. and then save him or herself and get back on it. And what's cool about that kind of technique too is like when you're playing, you come up with some crazy stuff you never would have thought of, you know? And that's kind of how I base my whole thing is like, you know, especially soloing is like, you can tell when someone's really worked out their licks and worked out their parts. And of course, everyone has little worked out patterns. But for me, it was just all about, you know, just the excitement and the energy of it, you know? And then show us that little feather strum you oh, were yeah, doing yeah. there a second. That's so all you got to do, you use the uh, like the pad of your index finger, and you can do a bunch of cool stuff. So what I'll do is like, like I kind of stole it from like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Like I took that kind of essence of like what he would do uh, on a song "Dirty Pool," and like let's say we're in G, and I'll take it and I'll just go. And all I'm doing is literally just padding the G, B, and E. But once you really get into it, it's all about like how much you put in, right? Yeah, so, so if go, your index finger is completely straight and yes. you're just using the flat underside of it. Totally straight and you just... But you know, when you're really into it... And if you want, you could do like the Hendrix thing, like the Red House thing that... I'll do this all the time and I'll just run it up, you know? So say we're in B and I'm going... You know, Or if you want to be nice with it, and you're playing like a slower kind of, you know, you could go. You know, and like, Uh, no one ever taught, you know, like, that's the cool part about like, when I started like playing with my fingers, like I I wasn't really looking to anyone like, okay, how do I do this? What do I do? It was more like, I was like, well, I know like you can like run up. Like on a minor thing, so I thought, well, it'd be kind of cool if you're able to just. You know? And if you want to be crazy, you could do like the. I think you showed me how to do that. But it's a really simple thing. It's just literally just use your index. And even if you have a pick, you could just store it down there and just kind of start. Because the. The Stevie song was uh, that dirty. Oh, yeah. It had that kind of vibe to it. So I was like, ooh, I like that. But he was doing it with a pick. Now, yeah, I saw him when I was 13. I snuck out of the house and took the bus and the train out to San Francisco from Oakland. And it was a Sunday night, and there were two opening bands. Man, he didn't hit the stage until like 10 30 <laughs> or 11. I had to take the bus all the way back because it was a bar train. 
he blew my mind, man. And I, it was just a, it was a club gig. I mean, it was a big club, but yeah, it was still before he was playing theaters and stuff. His first totally. album, and Dirty Pool is on that album, and that's one of the most underrated blues. Everybody knows Pride and Joy and Texas Flood. Absolutely, that is one of the deepest B tracks oh, I've ever heard. Absolutely. trippy thing about with the way he I used to watch him strum and I don't know how much this will come across in the recording but I still haven't figured it out because his hand would go left and right while he was strumming it with a pick and it'd be going yeah and I always try and copy that and I'll always just take like literally my thumb you know but you can't like it's like it's such an intricate thing you know but uh yeah Stevie was yeah and especially Dirty Pool and the fact that he does that for literally like five to six minutes you know that that technique and he'll do the whole solo using that technique insanity yeah and then you you did this one bend maybe once or twice already that i love where you got maybe the low string ringing and then you bend oh yeah yeah yeah. you bend i do it yeah so like it yeah it's like a pseudo country thing right so like but what i did is um uh there's a few guys like uh greg cock uh dave grissom um these guitar players that kind of played and i used to hear them do stuff where they would play a simple simple blues lick but they would answer it with like either an open low e string or like they would literally put the root with their thumb so like it let's just say you're in a and you just play you can play over just play that a string and then you can play stuff Yeah. And uh, it's cool because, and then when you take your thumb over it, you can go to G, and you can just play like yeah. pentatonic. I'm kind of a nerd about the overtone <laughs> series, too. That sounds great, man. Thanks, man. And like when, like they say that first bend, mm-hmm. maybe people might not realize this, but you're actually bending to a note that's a little bit flat than mm-hmm. what the tuner would tell you would be the correct major third. Absolutely. It's actually 14 cents flat. <laughs> you hear See, it? people, <laughs> you need to listen to Jude because Jude has just broke down the mysteries. <laughs> well, I actually learned about this from Steve Kimmock. See, wow. do that bend again, even with thick ass distortion. When you get it to that sweet spot, the mm-hmm. spot that's a little bit flat of what the tuner would say or what yeah. the same note on the piano would be, mm-hmm. it all the dissonance goes away. One more time. Oh. Hear that? <laughs> that's why slide players are hitting, and that's what singers oh, yeah. hit and stuff. Absolutely. But, but if you're too nerdy about that, if you're too, if people stick too much to the guitar tuner, yeah, they're definitely. Like, they're like, how come my major third sounds like this? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and that's the thing that I always do. Like, even I think I. I was listening to like um, Clapton and when he would play like pentatonics, like the things that I do on guitar, like I feel like they're just really simple, but like when I play, like I'll add a little bit of like a, almost like a pre-bend to notes. So like when you play and say you're an A and you have that. Yeah, you can do it with the seventh as well. Yeah. That and, sounds uh, so great. It's the seventh. Uh... I do it all over, man. Yeah. I'll even do like a, um, you know, like I'll get crazy. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, again, I just love hearing all that hand mojo on a, on a Les Paul. That's oh, fucking killer, dude. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, um, a lot of guys, I think they strive for perfection, right? And uh, I've kind of just, I sh- shot for perfection for so long that after I kind of let go of trying to be perfect, that's when all of a sudden the mojo started to come out. And I was like, ooh. Like, when I'd listen back to stuff, I'd be like, I love that. Because instead, maybe, you know, like you're trying to do that bend, yeah. and you catch a... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh, man. I love it. It's it's just, just that is just thing of beauty to, to us, that sound, you know. It's Absolutely. so aggressive, but so beautiful. When I when I hear guys do that stuff, I'm like, ooh, I love it. <laughs> now, speaking of SRV, you grew up near yeah. Steve Ravon's last venue that he ever played. What yes. was that called? The Alpine Alpine Valley Music Theater. Yeah. Of course I've never been there. Tell us about what was that what's that place like? What was it? Uh well first off, it's like it's like the the fun area of like the town. So I grew up in like I grew up in like cornfields, right? So I grew up maybe about a mile away from this place. It's a big ski hill, like a man-made ski hill. In it's Wisconsin. a golf course, yeah, in Wisconsin. <laughs> it's a golf course, and it's also um, a huge music theater. So before, long before I was born, you know, like the Who, the Stones, you know, um, people. Oh, I saw Ozzy there. I saw you know Grateful Dead. All these huge acts would play there and. Uh, yeah, it was, um, it, it's just an amazing, I, I don't even know how many people, 20,000, you know, huge right. outdoor amphitheater, beautiful. It's funny, I saw all my shows there growing up, you know, that's where I first show, saw like uh, ZZ Top and Kiss and, you yeah. know, all of those classic rock bands. And uh, yeah, I grew up right down the street from it. Uh, my uncle was one of the first responders when Stevie's helicopter went down. So did it hit the actual hill that's associated with that place? How yeah. did that happen? So like in the back, there's like the landing strip, right? And Or like the landing pad for the helicopters. And it went up in the fog and it actually, the, the ski hill is literally like right next to it. I didn't realize it was so close to the venue. So close, yeah. To the point where like you could literally, if you wanted to walk, it would take you like a half hour to walk up, you know. And it just hit the side of the ski hill. So oh, man. And you know, growing up, I was... I was skiing there when I was, you know, like seven, eight, nine. I had no idea what was going, you know. But now it's funny because, like, there's no like memorial there, no like, you know, there's nothing there. But, um, you know, it's weird. Like, there's definitely like in Wisconsin, like, like I felt like a mojo. Like, I connected with Stevie right away just because, like, you'd hear it on the radio. And I remember when I first started playing guitar, everyone was like, "Oh, you got to check out Stevie Ray Vaughan. Got to check out Stevie." And I remember I saw the um, Elma Combo DVD. Yeah. Like eighty three, and that's I was right like, around when I was talking about when I saw unbelievable him the same tour. that era for for him like like that Elma Combo DVD. I would like watch it religiously. Do you, you have know? any regrets in life, Jared? I have one regret at that show when I was thirteen that he dropped a pick, and all no I had to way. do was climb up because I was like right in front of the stage. All I had to do was like kind of push up on my elbows and like maybe get one knee on the stage and reach out, and I could have grabbed it. And I was sitting there thinking about it. Some other bastard did it before me. Oh. That's one of my life regrets, Jared. Dude, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to make peace with this. I don't know if you'll ever make peace with that. Uh, <laughs> was, I have a friend who's a pick collector. And yeah, I, like, I mean, it was one he actually used on yeah. several songs, you know. That's amazing. I, I yeah. have a buddy, and he collects picks. I was like, you got any Stevie picks? You know? Yeah. He's like, no, those are really hard to come by. <laughs> Well, before we even move on, yeah. let's just say that there has to be a memorial to Stevie and whoever else died on that hill. We got to make this happen. Uh, that's what I, let's just say this: if if there's any way that I can ever make that happen in the future, I'd definitely do that because there's nothing there. There's not even a there's not even a plaque or a sign or nothing. It's really weird. It's almost like they wanted to forget about it and not trying to be like a conspiracy guy. But no, like, I know. I but there's wondering. nothing. I was wondering the same thing. I mean, 
Yeah, it's crazy. Whoever's out there, if you're li- living near there, let's let's do this. Let's, let's start yeah. the campaign. Let's put it up, man. <laughs> <laughs> so but. when did you uh, first, well, what did your parents do? And did they foster your music somehow? Or? Um, no, my mom is a realtor and my dad was a construction worker. Um, when I, my brother had an acoustic guitar, like when he was in high school, like him and his buddies, like all wanted to be like Dave Matthews. So they all bought acoustic guitars. And I like distinctly remember him like sitting on the couch trying to learn chords and stuff, you know? And, uh, there, I didn't care about guitar. I wanted to play drums originally. I wanted to be a drummer because I said, oh man, everybody plays guitar. You know, I don't want to do that. And it was right around that time, like 13, 14, everyone's getting into instruments or football or this or that. And, um, you know, I wanted to be a drummer, so I conned a drum set from, like, my brother's friend. Like, I was like, let me borrow it. I brought it yeah. home, and I remember my dad got home from work, and I was downstairs <laughs> trying to learn to play. And he was like, hell no, dude. Yeah, I knew where that was going. <laughs> Absolutely. And then he goes, you know, why don't you get a guitar? You can take it with you. And I was like, I don't want to play. And he goes, if you can learn a song on the acoustic that your brother has, we'll get you an electric. Because I was like, there's no way I want to be an acoustic guitar player, you know. And, um, yeah, I started playing guitar, and uh, I fell quick, man, and, like, all of a sudden it was like, it was weird because I know you feel that way and a lot of guitar players feel that way. You know, it's like the only thing that matters all of a sudden where you're like, oh, I just want to play. So I get home from school, grab the guitar at like, I get home at like 3.20, I'd grab the guitar by 3.30, play till dinner. And then after dinner, I'd go back in and try and learn. And this was like before YouTube yeah. and stuff even. So like, I know I'm like a younger guy or whatever, but like yeah. it was right before all of that. So I remember I was printing off tabs online. So I'd have like stacks of these tabs and trying to keep them in order, you know? And um, I just remember I got hooked on it and then I started getting tab books and um, you know, that was all it took. And you know, the, the big moment was when I found out how to use like distortion. And I was like, that's the sound, that's it, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, and then I turned into one of those guys I was just like, no social, nothing. I just wanted to play guitar, you know, and uh, I loved it. That is a common thread with true guitar players sometimes. I tell you, it's crazy, man. What was your first, like, um, first of all, what year were you born? Damn uh, 89, it. Oh, that's 1989. Rude. That's rude. All right. <laughs> now, um, what was your first, like, decent guitar and amp setup? The, well, the first decent guitar I ever got was, let's see, it would have been uh, the second guitar I got. It was a, if you call it decent, it was a Dan Electro. It was an older Dan Electro. It was called the Ho Dad. So it had a Bigsby and two lipstick pickups. And I thought I was Jimmy Page. So I was trying to play like all the Zeppelin stuff on it. And I was like, oh, this is amazing, you know? And then I realized yeah. it wouldn't stay in tune. Like it, I, I thought it was me. It turned out to be the guitar. Like the guitar would not stay in tune. And then I remember I got like an 80s, like Super Strat. Yep. It was definitely like put together by someone. It wasn't like any brand. It was like a, a pure rosewood neck with like the Jackson kind of, uh, yeah. you know, headstock and, uh, it just had a single humbucker in it. And, um, that was what I kind of learned on. That's what I cut my teeth on. Someone had wrote right. like their girlfriend's name on it. I think it said like, uh, Amy or something. And, uh, yeah, it was weird. He broke up with her and had to sell it. Exactly. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that was like the first guitar I ever had. And then I played through like the, the stuff that was easy to get at my music store, you know, like crate amps, washburns, you know, like stuff like that was really yeah. big where I grew up. What was your first gig oh, first gig was the t- uh it was called maguana palooza it was like the next big town over they had like 20 bands in one day yeah. on like a saturday at the park and it was like you could win like people could win right and i remember the first year man i remember i borrowed someone's like faded uh les paul like a uh, gibson because i was like i need to play like something really good and uh, i borrowed a friend's les paul and i played it through like my crate amp 
And I remember I was so nervous. You just went up there solo? No, I had I had like my my guys that I played with, like a lead singer, bass guy, and the drums. But I remember like we were jamming. I was so nervous. I did not look at the crowd once. Like I had my back <laughs> turned the whole time. And um, I remember we they videoed it and I watched it and I was just like, oh man, I, I had like a shaved head and like I weighed like 88 pounds and I was like 5'11", you know, like super yeah. weird looking kid. You've come course. a long way. How tall are you now? Uh, six five. Yeah. <laughs> um, you don't but, even need in your Wheaties. A- absolutely. But, you know, it, honestly, I never, and that's the funny part, I never would have thought I would have even taken it this far, you know, because I never had those aspirations. Like, I just wanted to play guitar, yeah. you know? I love that turn the turn the back to the audience. It's like that's like the ostrich sticking his head in the sand. That doesn't make the rain go away. Exactly. It's still there. <laughs> and I remember I'd do like solos and I would just be turned and I couldn't like stand still and I was just nervous and I was like, Oh man, it was it was really nerve wracking. But then it all changed because then my mom took me to like a blues jam. And then at the blues jam, like she like got me up there right away. She was like, Oh, my son plays guitar, can he try? And they were like yeah, we got a guitar in the back, blah, 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 I can try. And I remember I was so nervous, I couldn't even plug the uh, the cord, the guitar cord into the amp, you know? your hands were shaking? Oh, I was funny, so yeah. nervous, man. Forever Just, yeah. I was nervous. I remember I went in the back, I was like, I got to use the bathroom quick. So I go to take a pee in the bathroom, and a guy comes up to me, and he's like, is this your first time? I was like, no, no. And he goes, well, you know, it's like swimming. Either you got to jump in, you're going to drown, or you'll, you'll eventually figure it out, you know? And... Uh, Sure enough, once I got on stage with like some blues guys and we were playing like a, just a blues shuffle and like they were like, take it away. And I didn't know much, but I knew like a few little notes and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Okay. Okay. Well, let's play a little blues. Let's do it. I love, you to, do something I would love to hear you play a little. Yeah, you start, choose the groove, whatever you want. All right, let's, let's just do like a little. Uh, what's up? So you got the Black Star amp here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's that pedal you got going the, into it? The pedal is a, a Seymour Duncan Killing Floor. Basically, it's just a single knob boost. But what I like about it is, you know, like most people are like, oh, this pedal does not color your tone. This does not do this. This thing colors the hell out of it. So it's <laughs> like the more you turn it up, just the more disgustingly overdriven and like snotty and snorty it gets. It's got a little switch on there too. Yeah, it's got a little switch so you can have a high boost. You yeah. can just have like a, a little uh, a high cut. Or what's the middle? 34 dBs. It looks like you got a good amount of snot dialed in there. Yeah, this, the, <laughs> the snot is, is full on, dude. Let's do, actually, let's do something a little more chill. Let's do like a, um, like a Stormy Monday blues. Here it goes.
That's yeah, awesome. man. You sound so good, man. I, I know we didn't, I feel like we were about to just really crack it open, but. Oh, you, know, you know, it's like. There's still another level there. There, <laughs> there was another level to go. We could have went crazy, absolutely. Let's go crazy, finish it. One, Three and a four. And. Hey everybody, just one quick little break here to remind you to please thank our friends at Audio Technica by heading over to audio-technica.com. They made this episode possible. Them and their awesome E-series of in-ear monitoring headphones. Hope you enter to win a pair at guitarplayer.com slash Jared. Good luck. I understand it's mostly for American residents if you want to see the full rules and regulations. Click on the fine print on the entry form. Again, Audio Technica has been making microphones and headphones for 50 years, and they do it right. Dude, there, there we go. That's the other level. And I just realized, yeah, of course you got a 
You can you got the master volume on there because you only have one pickup on there. You got Yeah. So gotta, this yeah, the Les Paul's kind of cool like this because it's it's breaking it down to most the basics, right? Yeah. Just a volume and a tone and like thing I like to do a lot too is like obviously you have the volume, right? Everybody knows those tricks, right? The But with the tone you can kind of get cool too. Different stuff, okay. man. Now, you've had some teachers, I guess. A little Tell bit me about you. You. <laughs> I mean, I was one of many teachers. Absolutely. At MI. Mm-hmm. But tell me about, like, I know you studied with our friend yeah. a bit. Yeah. Uh, you must be assuming the the master. The ma- the gristle king. The gr- the king of gristle. Greg. Greg Koch. Uh, yeah. I st- well, this is the thing. We're both from the same area, right? So like when I was a kid, he was the guy. Like he was the guy in the area. He was the guy like that would play all the festivals. He'd have his trio or he'd have a singer with him. And um, I don't know what to say. I, I feel very, very, very lucky to even be in the guy's presence but I he I remember when I was young I would shine around a little bit like I would just show up you know I'd go where he was playing wherever I could because I was obviously like 15 16 and um unbelievable guitar player and uh, he had a son or he has a son that's right around my age and he's a drummer and he's an unbelievable drummer and I remember when I was like 17 I got the nerve to kind of ask him like hey man let's jam you know because he was already playing with Greg and um we ended up starting to jam and I remember I came over to their house and they lived about I don't know a half hour away and I remember all of a sudden the the moment I walked in this is the best thing I can say about Greg right away was I walked in the house and I heard live cream like Eric Clapton like this crazy improv soloing happening and it was down in their basement and it was so loud you could hear it through the whole house and I was like man someone is listening to cream downstairs like loud and we walk downstairs and it's just Greg jamming like along with like some track, but it sounded, and I'll never forget that. And I just remember it was like, I looked in there, I was just like, oh my God. And you know, he had all his tellies laying around his strats and everything. And you know, he kind of introduced and he said, play whatever you want. And I was just like, oh, you know? (laughs) And um, after a while, you know, it would be funny. We'd be down in the basement jamming and I'd be playing a riff or I'd be playing something. And all of a sudden Greg would walk down and he'd stop us and he'd go, hold on, hold on, play it like this, try this, you know, and he'd show me like a different technique, you know, and he's kind of the one of the one guy that I've stole all of his stuff kind of, and just manipulated it. Right. He was the guy that first showed me how to really use, man, that thing's loud. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, he, He showed me how to use that thing that you're so good at and all these other guys that where you use the the click pick or click and hit the note right so he was showing me all these licks like i remember it was just like a um a he just showed me like a simple riff like that to learn and i remember asking him like how he did it and he was like he showed me and um it was funny with greg we never sat down i never took a guitar lesson from him but every time i'd see him he would throw something at me that was so it was like mr miyagi man yeah you know and um every time i see him i just I <laughs> just say thanks, man, you know, yeah. and I still love his his playing is just out of this world. Amazing. Yeah, I think a lot of times the best guitar lessons are sometimes just 
30 seconds long and then you could spend a lifetime working on what you just saw <laughs> yeah and it's funny because he'll i'll be like oh greg how did you do the albert king thing and he goes what this he just oh you just bend on the same note and you just hit different bends on the way down you know yeah and i'm like how did you do that you know and um he was one of those guys that really uh he helped me out a ton man you know absolutely and is there, I mean, that guy does so many different things. Mm-hmm. He can, he's an encyclopedia of tasty guitar licks. I totally. So I know that you learned so many millions of different things well, from him. Like, but. yeah, th- that, that kind of stuff. I mean, he would show me like the straight ahead rock stuff, right? Kind of like yeah. little Jimmy Pageisms. But like the biggest thing, and I think the thing that Greg has that so many guitar players, um, the one of the things that only I think a handful of guys on the planet have is he has over all of the knowledge, he has the touch that when you, when he plays, even if he's playing the most simple lines, they sound so complex and so there's so much depth. And I think that's the thing for my playing that I wanna I wanna push for in the future and really go for is the depth in your playing that it's not necessarily about how crazy the the line is or that what you're actually doing. It's more how you hit a note. And this might sound really strange to people, but the way you can just hit hit one simple riff and just make it sound so just spot on, you know? And there's only a few yeah. guys I think and he's one of them that really has that style that you can he can just play the most simple blues line and it's just like staggering jaw-dropping you know i wholeheartedly agree absolutely man man. and it's like bringing back you know a lot of guys go to me say man i need more riffs or i want to learn how to finger pick like you or how do you do that can you show me and i'm like yeah i can show you but there's only i can lead you to the water man or like greg you know he can he can play and everyone can but in order to actually do that it's just unbelievable yeah it's got it's got that backbone to it every note's got yeah, and I remember the you first got that too, my friend. I'm working that angle. I remember the first time I heard him play. I remember he just played like he literally played like um, three notes. It was just like, uh, just like a, just those, you know. But yeah. it's like the, yeah. and he's just playing yeah. these different notes, you know. And he's just yeah. no, yeah. And Greg is. Yeah, a master player. You have a great vibrato there too, Jared. Thanks, man. That's one of those things I always work on a lot too is, you know, being able to just really... And my amp's a little loud too, but, you know, really nailing into that, um, you know... You know, break... Yeah, man. And I think a lot of guys too need to come back to that thing like the bends and vibrato, you know, being able to. You know, that's, I'm that's feeling it that shit. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I want, man. You know, I don't, that's all I care about is just, and it's funny because like, and I'm going off on a tangent now, but like I had to simplify my, my everything to get there because you know when when you're playing and you think like for me like i was the pedal board started growing and the guitar i was like thinking to myself oh i need to do this maybe i'll get this switch in it, like a fate out of fate you know to have all this different stuff at my fingertips and that's great for creativity but for me as a player it really just came down to getting as basic as i could because that's when i finally was like oh i can breathe i can just play 
And like the thing, the whole thing, like a lot of guys are like, man, what's up with the gimmick with the one pickup and this and that and that. And it's like, you may think it is, but like the fingers and the single pickup and like just like simple, like a boost or like a just a really loud amp. That's where I kind of feel like I can stretch out and create my stuff, you know? It's just simpler for me. So if you're going out on the road tonight or tomorrow, what, and you can bring anything, what are you going to bring for gear? Oh man, the rack mount. No, I just kidding. (laughs) Um, I would just, honestly, when we tour and when we go, I'll, I'll just bring like, uh, like I'll bring this, uh, Les Paul, that this Epiphone I got, or my, my Gibson custom or my Gibson Les Paul. Um, I keep it simple, man. Like we do these big festivals. I plug into a loud amp turn it all the way up, just plug in with the cable. You know, I don't really run even a tuner anymore or any of that stuff just because it's like, it's, I don't know. I don't want to be that guy, but it's just like, man, once it's, once you get it where you know how the guitar work and you know how it feels and everything, you know, like you can kind of tune it by ear and get away with it. Right. But like, I would just bring like, if anything, like a boost, a cable, the guitar. What kind of cables are you running? Oh, the I ha, I've been using the uh, American the Didario. Those do sound great. Yeah, they're, they're Planet Waves. Yeah, the Planet Waves stuff's great. The Didario uh, NYXL strings I've been using. You know, it's it's the some stuff. You know, they can make better, and um, you know, a lot of guys. It, a lot of it's hype, but a lot of it isn't. You know, when I play those strings, like the NYXLs, they feel great and they last longer than you know anything else I've been using. So. You know, I, I try it now to keep it as basic as possible because all the guys that I look up to, like Johnny Winter, Leslie West, you know, Stevie, you know, and although they did get crazy, but like at the core, what they were doing, it was basic, man. It was really just their spin on that, the whole genre and, and how deep you could go with it, you know? So that's all I'm trying to do, man. Awesome, brother. Now let's listen to one of your tunes. Yeah. Let's listen to, I think this is your new single mm-hmm. from Black Magic, which yeah. is coming out October. Yep. Your new album, and this is called Last Chance. That's it. And this is already out. So tell us about this crazy intro that we just heard. So listen, this song is crazy because this is like the hardest hitting song I've ever wrote. You keep on me, you take me down. When I was approached with coming out with the record, right? They're like, oh, let's put out a single before and get people, you know, to kind of feel what's going on and test the waters or whatever. And I thought to myself, okay, cool. Well, I could do something super bluesy, super like just right in the pocket, you know, because there's a lot of that on the record. Or I could just do something that was just like big riff you know crazy guitars and i just opted for that so the intro is actually i played the solo which i can show you how crazy that is and we just literally reversed it and i'm now i'm not a lot for like production or recording craziness but we reversed it and that was the way it sounded and we had it as just like a working intro and at the end of the day i was just like man let's just keep that i think it sounds cool what's the actual so the actual thing here, this is what it is, yeah. just reversed. So it's that reversed. Awesome. Now and you- then the solo, which is really cool. I gotta play it really quick. Cause it's the same, but it, now it's just like way more intense. <laughs>
love it. That's a solo to Last Chance? That's a solo. And what's the other riff that's... Uh... The other riff, the heavy riff is, uh, it's kind of like uh, if it were like an organ, right? <laughs> Then I went all Sabbath. like that. I love it, man. It's just crazy, man. And it's funny, like I said, once, this might sound really sad to people, once I let go of trying to be like perfect with everything I played and trying to really like keep it straight up, that's when I found like all that dirty, nasty, you know, mojo stuff. So it's like a lot of times too, I'll like, screw up in the middle and instead of going back or trying to fix it i'll just like work through it you know i, I think that's not sad i think that's happy that's good news yeah it makes me sleep better at night because i was one of those guys i swear man you know like a lot of us we just you know you really try and get stuff down you really try and um after a while i just figured to hell with it i'll just go with the spirit and the essence and the fire of it instead of the you know going crazy now the first time i saw you i think you had a homemade yeah v yeah v mm-hmm. i still love the v's so that v was made with um a guy back home uh landry guitars and um we made that v like we sat in his basement and made that v um i don't really play it anymore the neck <laughs> this is the funny part the neck when we put it in it was supposed to be like a, a bolt-on neck but we said to hell with it we'll try and glue it so yeah. it needs a new neck because we glued it and over time it's literally just bow, bowed yeah. into itself. Right. It's like everything I have, man. It's so like, um, I can't keep anything original or I can't, I always mess with stuff. You know what I mean? It's just right. like a tick I have where I'm like, man, that guitar is beautiful, but I totally take that, <laughs> you know, like, I totally yeah. take that tone knob off or whatever. You're like, what if? What, what if? if? I think yeah. it would sound better, right? And I've, I'm a crazy guy, man. I'll even be like, like with this guitar for a while, I love the tone knob and I love that, but yeah. I, like for a while I was literally like, oh man, maybe I should cut the tone out. It'll probably sound a lot more pure and like unfiltered without that tone, just a straight volume, you know? Yeah, yeah well, when you see a one pickup guitar, you just automatically start thinking that, yeah. Mm. Is there any kind of tone suck on that extra knob? Exactly. Right. No, I think you're doing pretty good. You got a pretty pure sound there. Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm just working with what I got and uh, trying to make it sound cool. So where did you record uh, Black Magic? Oh, man, I was lucky with that. Um, we First off, we started to do the recordings like everybody these days. We sat on a laptop in an apartment and kind of came up with ideas and hashed stuff out. And um, when it really got time to recording it, um, we... Tony Perry, it's Joe Perry's son, um, and Joe's awesome, super great guy. Uh, he is like one of my best friends, and um, we started 
working on these ideas together, kind of co-wrote all these songs and all these riffs, and um, we needed studio space. So Phil Jargui, who owns Swing House, he has a beautiful setup, but there was no time to get in, no time to record or anything over here. So we ended up going, he's like, well, I have a friend who has a home studio. So we went to Johnny Depp's. Dang. Yeah, dang. <laughs> and uh, with that, it was it was pretty unbelievable because, uh, you know, first off, just for me outside of playing guitar and everything, you know, he's uh, such a s superstar that it's like, you know, it's crazy. So, um, you know, we show up and... Uh, he apparently moved out to L.A. to be a guitarist before right. he became a fan. He stumbled into becoming a superstar actor. Unbelievable, <laughs> right? And then here's me, some long-haired, you know, whatever. And we show up and... Uh, you know, Tony's like, yeah, use whatever you want. You know, uh, we'll, we'll use these guitars. We'll use the room, whatever. And uh, we so sat wait, wait, there. Wait, 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 wait. What's Johnny Depp's crib like? Is he got a backyard studio? What's happening? What's, this, what's oh, going on here? It's, it's, uh, it's a, a house. Like, it's a mansion studio. You know, it's like he owns houses, right? And uh, all the houses are next to each other. And one of them happens to be like a home studio. So the whole house is kind of a recording house? Mm-hmm. It's insane. It's, uh, it's beautiful, too. That so much like insane artwork and he has a wall and it's filled with guitars, you know, and, um, it's just, it's suit like, I don't know. And all the guitars are, you know, ex exactly as you'd expect weird goofball one-offs from Gibson's Gibson custom 12 strings from the sixties, Amazing. you know, a bunch of stuff that, you know, like I'd never seen before. Like, and, um, I was playing some tellies from the, you know, like, you know, just some wild gear, wild amps. Old, That's crazy. We used a ton of uh, like old small amps too, like old Supros and you know old Silvertones and stuff. He's got all that stuff. In there? Yeah, he's got all that kind of stuff. Now he's a nut, man. He, he loves all that stuff. And to think all that, including the house and the grounds, are all paid for by like one scene out of one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was pretty surreal to be there and uh, record there because you know we were in there and the, he has all the uh, set chairs in there from the Pirates of the Caribbean and all his uh, different props and stuff. So you know. It was really, cool. really an unbelievable experience. Yeah, he seems like a cool guy. I've seen him, uh, like, sit in with various people mm -hmm. at various concerts around L.A. Yeah, and uh, it's cool. And one thing to be said is always is, like, when you're out of your comfort zone sometimes, all of a sudden, you know, like, being there and being able to do that, you it puts you somewhere else where it's like, okay, now, you know, you get, you get like inspired, you know, and you start pushing yourself even harder and, and, uh, you know, cool things came out and I'm just glad we were able to record it, you know? And then the rest of the recording was, um, we did a ton of it at the Boneyard, which is Joe Perry's home studio. Tony was able to do a bunch yeah. of drums there. I've been there. Have you been there? Yeah. Well, I interviewed him for a cover story several years ago. Mm -hmm. Is it in near Boston? Uh, it's near Boston. Yeah, yeah I've been there. Dude, mm -hmm. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, cool cat. So, um, and then he started showing me his guns too. Nice. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> he had like one hunting rifle or something. Like, <laughs> Jude's like, yeah, stay no. on his good side. <laughs> yeah, no, we're cool, man. We're cool. Um, no, he was super cool, man. Yeah, and Tony, Joe's son, is, um, dude, he's it, he's got the ear for it, man. He's like, on the guitar side, on the writing side, he's an insane engineer. He like he brought so much to the table, which for me, uh, you know. Having, you know, how it is having a different set of ears and a different opinion always, always takes the takes things in different places. And, uh, you know, sometimes I am a victim of being a guitar player at all times, right, thinking, yeah. you know, thinking about guitars and thinking about that. And, you know, uh, what I'm happy about on this record is we really worked on the songs. <laughs> What's really important, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, great. we tried to write some good songs and, uh, 
obviously had a lot of fun on the guitar stuff. And um, yeah, it's cool. Every song has a different quirky guitar thing that I'm super pumped about. Like we went and we did like a funky tune and I did all that weird, crazy, you know, popping stuff and all, you know. Oh yeah. Is there a riff you know. that you can show us to preview yeah, sure. from that song? What's that song called? It's called Hear Me Crying." I'll tune up for everyone's ears. But the riff, it's funny, it started out like all my tracks. It started out, it's always about a riff. I worked with Eddie Kramer and he goes, it's always about a riff. You always gotta have <laughs> the riff, man. And uh, that riff, I had to, in, in, in the beginning it was like a ZZ Top song. I wanted it to sound like ZZ Top. So it was like, it used that open string thing and it went. feeling it so you uh before it was like a trio setup and we were playing it live and we were just really hammering down on it but all of a sudden we added like a clav clavinet and we put a real big funk backbeat so all of a sudden it turned out to like a, a stacks recording from like the 70 it's like if billy gibbons walked into yeah. stacks in like 73 you know and that riff is all about that open g and just playing over the top the chorus <laughs> the funk Super thing funky. so there's a it's it's ton of guitar cool stuff you know and um uh you know i could sit here and play riffs for the next hour <laughs> i love that you just love to just fucking start throwing out the riffs and playing oh yeah it's it's the that's the best part is your album on a specific label or well in europe it is and we just started all the promo for that it's listenable that's in europe that's all europe and right now we're figuring out the states um luckily what's been amazing is as of recently due to the powers of like instagram like yeah. um i've been in touch and uh became buddies with guys like nikki six and uh, eddie trunk and all these kind of radio guys here in the states and you know just all around great guys and they've started playing the song uh last chance already as a single and uh they said they, they're gonna help for the, you know, and we're just getting everything wrapped up in the States. I mean, honestly, in the past four years, I've spent more time almost in Europe than I have here in America. Just That's building amazing. it, building it, you know? And who have you toured with out there? Oh man, well, the first tour we did was with Skinnerd, Leonard Skinnerd, and then- um, So you're opening your power trio? Yeah, power Open. trio, opening for Skinnerd and Arenas. And, and that's your band, do you have still the same guys? Still have the same or, guys that I met just at. Just give them a shout I, out. Uh, Dennis Holm and Eric Sandin fantastic rhythm section uh they absolutely grew with me we i mean we started together at mi in the practice rooms you know i said you, you guys know you guys know any hendrix no you guys know any blue shuffles uh no you know so we <laughs> literally i started you know the first things we were playing you know we just started yeah. together and um it was it was great and uh so yeah the first tour we really did over there we did some some the first two were very small like club tours with a small agency that's like hey we can book your shows and get your gear and do all this you know like all yeah. in-house right. so we went over got our feet wet and um uh somehow some way gary rosington and ricky medlock the guys from skinnerd um figured out about my playing and figured out about it and uh we ended up doing arenas over there with them 
And I was Damn, like, dude, dude it, it went <laughs> from like 30 people to almost 30,000, you know, like it was insane. Um, and I remember the first sound check, it was so funny because, all right, we'll take the guitar now. And I remember just playing, you know, uh, in an arena. And it was like, you, know, you remember the line six effect where it was like the arena setting or whatever. Right. It was like that <laughs> happened. And I remember I had the biggest smile on my face and I was just like, oh my God, this is oh, insane. Yeah. There's not the best of like play through a giant PA system. Like you're, and the speakers aren't even facing you. You're not hearing them directly, but Absolutely. you feel the power and they're bouncing off the walls. And uh, yeah, that, that was insane. And then I ended up jamming with them and I plugged into one of Gary's old Marshalls. We played... Sweet Home Alabama. They let me take the solo, and it was, it was insane, what? man. Yeah, it was crazy. It was to the point where I was like, "Is this, you know?" And as you know, where was that? That was in Germany, in Ludwigsburg, and it was a, a MHP arena. And I think there was like, you know, I have fifteen thousand people. But it was just crazy, you know. It was crazy to be up there jamming with those guys. And literally, the way it happened was, it was our last night of the run with them. And Gary comes up to me right when we got off stage. He goes, "Hey, man, you're gonna come out and play with us, right? Tonight, you're gonna come jam Sweet Home with us." And I was like, "I don't know, <laughs> am I?" And he goes, "Yeah, get it, you know, get, get it together. We'll, you'll be up in about an hour and a half." And I was like, "Crazy." So I'm in the back, just you know. And then, yeah. sure enough, man, and it was great. And uh, after that, that that springboarded to um, we did like full like. Then we started going on these month, two month tours over there. We did Glenn Hughes with Doug Aldrich on guitar, who's also a great friend now. And great guitar player. Great guitar player. And then we did, um, let's see, what happened after that? We did, oh, uh, obviously the big one, the next big one was Zach Wilde. We did a world tour with Zach. We went to 20 countries with Zach. So we started in England, then we went to France, Germany, Spain, uh, Switzerland, Croatia, Czech Republic. Uh, we did Canada, we did all of America. Um, what else did we do over there? Netherlands. Um, we were all over the place, Asia? man. No Asia yet. I haven't been to Asia yet. I got to get over there. Oh, yeah. You're going to love it. Absolutely. What's the craziest thing that's happened with any of these maniacs? That I'm trying to think. <laughs> um, you know, it's weird because when you're on the road yeah. with some of these acts, you know, it's almost like you're like, not to downplay it, but like you're like a fly on the wall because you're always watching what's happening, you know? Like yeah, yeah. for me, it's exciting because it's like, oh, load in's in an hour. You know, we're watching them load in and sound check and stuff. Um, the craziest thing, I'm trying to think if there was anything super crazy. Oh, the craziest thing that ever happened was um, we played up in Washington with Zach and Zach likes to go out in the crowd um, and take this epic solo right and he walks through the crowd and goes up to everyone and it's all good and it's usually zach his tech his security guard and maybe uh a few stagehands holding the cable right because yeah. he still plays with the cable That's he hilarious. goes on the crowd with a cable <laughs> and uh i remember it was like one of the last nights of the tour and literally uh me and my drummer are standing there watching as we do and uh we're up on the side of the stage and we look and all of a sudden we see there's like a fight breaking out right next to Zach, and it was Zach's security guard and some guys at the club. So they're down there, and this oh, huge man. fight breaks out. And these guys, usually the ones that are at Zach's shows, are pretty pretty rough and tumble, big guys, you know? And I remember me and my drummer went out there, and we were, like, trying – we were trying to, like, help keep it, you know, whatever. Yeah. We are like, blocking – it was just – so funny. Here I am out in a crowd with all these massive dudes just trying to block Zach so he doesn't get killed. And uh, that was pretty crazy. Yeah, bunch no of people kidding. got thrown out. There was blood, you know. Uh, Zach's security guard was he, you know, he was he, 
all kudos to him for everything he did. But you know, he's bloody and you know, hands are torn up. It's crazy. Earning his money that night. Absolutely. My gosh. Um, and then of course Zach probably did the same thing the very next night. Yeah, every night. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think though. You know, we did that tour, and then uh, the last tour we did UFO in Saxon. We did that all over America. We went out with Walter Trout, who's an amazing blues player. We did uh, Europe with him. Man, you are working, dude. Yeah, um, Blue Oyster Cult. We did a, a tour with Blue Oyster. And I that played was, with them a lot. Like, yeah. Well, we just, I just played with them three days ago in that's Montana. Amazing. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, we They're did a lot of double bills. Such sweet guys. And, yeah, uh, super cool. It was so funny. Buck Dharma, though, the first night he comes up to me and he goes, how tall are you? You know? Yeah. And he goes, just so you know, you're the loudest guitar player I've ever heard. And I was like, <laughs> really? <laughs> and yeah. I know he was just messing with me or whatever. But then the, oh. sec- the second night he comes up to me, he goes, by loud, I meant good. It's okay. You know, because, oh, no, <laughs> you know, and uh, those guys are sweethearts. And then um, now again, in a few weeks, we leave again to do uh, the rest of America with UFO and Saxon for a month and a half. And uh, we already have plans. We're going on uh, the Monsters of Rock cruise in February. And then we go Sweet. back to Europe right after. And uh, man, we're just rolling it, you know, just yeah. as, as long have guitar, we'll travel, honestly. You having fun? You guys keeping the partying under control? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny, a lot of guys would think, oh man, these guys, you know, they're, they're doing all these tours, they're kicking, going over here, they're going over there. And it's, and I'm not even saying this, like we're working because, you know, as a young band trying to come up, you know, we don't have the budget to have guys that are... Um, you know, here in the States, especially going to be driving us or, you know, stagehands. So like we're hands on at all times. So like in the States, it's hilarious because we'll be in New York city and I'll go, all right, guys, I'm going to get the van because we got to get out of here because we got to start driving to the next city, you know? So there's nine out of 10 times we don't even have the opportunity, even if it was there to, you know, kick back and drink or whatever you know so like it's funny because a lot of people look at me and they're like man you must just like burn Mm -hmm. through it all you know like so much fun it's like dude i have a blast when i'm on stage but otherwise you know you're just working yeah you sleep well (laughs) exactly (laughs) man you guys have somebody with you tech uh yeah usually um well definitely we have to have someone for sound you know for sound and helping out and everything but we've been very lucky in in europe we have a uh, a great guy we've been working with over there and uh you know we it's cool Mm. because i must say doing all these tours on on our own with one other guy or you know what we do it helps you really get your feet wet to the point now where it's like honestly I feel like I could go anywhere in the world and go on any tour and it's just like yeah let's do it where are we going you know I feel that way about you too (laughs) (laughs) but you know there's a a lot of land that still needs to be conquered man you know we I want to go to uh, Asia and play and you know just keep going back to Europe and obviously here here in America just keep cooking up until Black Magic, what's what's, some, yeah. what's the one of your main tunes that you play every night? The big oh, song. Oh man, that, there's a few. Like, well, there's a few because there's a few with riffs, and, I, and now I got to play them. But yeah, uh, play them. there's a few like on the first record. Um, I've, I guess I'm just a riff guy. No matter how much blues and whatever, I still always love love me a good riff, right? I'm so right the, there with you, man. So the first one is uh, a song I wrote. It's called Baby, Can You Feel It, and um, it's all about that riff. So if you listen, it's like a ZZ Top thing. So it starts out like this, and I do some crazy. You know. And then it's in, you know? 
know, it's one of those guys. And then. <laughs> I love when you're playing that little boogie woogie thing on the two strings. You're using the upstrokes with your thumb as well. Looks like down, uh, up, down, yeah, up, yeah, down, up, down. Yeah. Oh, that one. Yeah, that's all thumb right there. I'm just like petting it. And it's funny, this muscle yeah. right here has gotten so like conditioned, <laughs> you know? And uh, sometimes it'll go like a. songs like in the middle we'll do like this whole jam thing you know and I can go off like crazy you know all the time now at the end so I'll do the riff and I'll go That's a big ending. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's fun, man. Just go crazy. And huge. Yeah. Great tone, too. Thanks, man. It's, uh, it really, uh, the thing I noticed, too, is I used to play humbuckers all the time. It's all about the humbuckers. And then literally, it came down to it, and uh, I love Stevie, and I love the single coil blues stuff so much, that I feel like the P90 is like the perfect middle ground, because you can still get that huge, thick, like crazy, yeah. really snotty, gnarly stuff. And I like Leslie West from Mountain. And you can take that, but you still have that clean kind of, that pop, right? Yeah. Forgive my forgive my ignorance, was Leslie West a P90 player? Yes. He played single, uh, he played juniors. So yeah. like his tone, uh, what I love about it is like, when, you know, when it was backed off, it was really, yeah. you know, uh, super nice and mellow but once once he got really he got gnarly so I'd be like so it's like heavy but it's like it. 
He's like the, if anyone doesn't know, he's the Mississippi Queen guy, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah. Feeling that, man. Yeah. Cow, great cowbell tune, too. Cowbell all day. Now, who makes your P90? Uh, this is Seymour Duncan. Um, Seymour Duncan approached me like it was probably about a year ago. And it's mm. always funny because, you know, for me, like, once again, I don't think that far sometimes. So, like, Seymour Duncan approached and they're like, hey, man, we'd love to have you play in our pickups. And I kind of already was, like, all the time. And uh, it was just funny because there was other companies like Bare Knuckle and Lawler and all these great p90 winders i was using all their stuff and then uh duncan approached and they said hey we got some voices that i think you know you'd be into or whatever like just like that i was hooked man and it's always cool i think you know as a guitar player to work with companies that want to work with you you know and it's like it's a two-way street to the point where it's like what do you need or what do you want to you know and it's like it's great yeah i've I've heard that seymour guy knows a couple things about pickups too (sighs) he does and the coolest part (laughs) about seymour the man, the myth, the legend was um, we played once, but when we played, uh, I think I was playing a Strat and it was like, we were playing like a blues thing and he comes up to me after he goes, man, you have a great feel for the blues. And I'm like, dude, you're a legend, dude. You know, like, damn. That's great coming you know? from him. So it was really cool and uh, he's a great guy and the company's awesome to work with, so. Yeah, great company, great yeah. guy. I have the pleasure to know him a few times myself hanging out and, you know, NAMM shows, whatever. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he's super. He's into it, man. He's, mm-hmm. he's a, he pays attention to all the different players and stuff. Totally. Great and um, yeah, between like honestly, between the everyone that's kind of supporting me right now, the the Black Star amps, you know, wherever I am on the road, doesn't matter wherever I am, one shows up, you know, or or they say, where are you going? Oh, we're going to, you know, we'll be in the nether, whatever. They show up, and it's amazing, you know, and and it's really cool to work with, like I said, with all these companies that. Um, that want you to be playing their stuff, you know? Because there's a lot of guys that play and you know, you hope or you look for this or you look for that. And um, I'm not trying to be like yeah. the endorsey guy, but it's oh, like, no. it's great, you know? No, it's working, man. What's your uh, go-to Black Star model for for a big gig or a normal size gig? Oh, so the, the the one that I really love, it's it's a big one. Like when we're doing the bigger festivals or like when we're able to do these bigger shows, it's a hundred watt, it's, a, uh, it's called an artisan. It's a high gain, like it's literally one channel. It's it's basically, you know, just that sound that we all know and love just cranked up. And um, uh, what I like about it is it has like a bias filter in it. So if you want, like it's called the ISF and you can, you can take it from like, you know, you can like work the amp with the room. So if something's like super dark, you know, like sometimes right when you play like a Marshall or any of these amps, it can get really dark really quick. And to cut through the mix, you know, it has a switch, so it almost yeah. goes from like Fender-ish, like it'll turn it more Fender-y or more Voxy, you know. And um, I'll use that. I have not gotten to the full stacks yet. I, I someday I want to do a full stack, just like a single one, so I can oh, yeah. live that up. But you um, gotta try it with two, like eight, like maybe side by side, exactly, cabinets. like a side by side thing. I demand that you try that right away. I got it's to. not even louder. Yeah, exactly. It's a little it's wider. Um, it's funny though, like when we toured with Zach. I was, uh, I, a few times I plugged into his rig and he has like quad, right? Right. Uh, full stereo. Oh man, that's insane. It's almost like, you know, like the guitar is like King Kong. It's just so much. <laughs> like you hit an E chord tuned down a half step and it's just yeah. like the walls are rumbling. It's just so much. 
It's what, cool, man. What kind of stereo effects is he using? Like, uh, well, what he does is he has like a, his own chorus pedal, right? Yeah. And he has it so he plugs in, um, plugs the, uh, both the amps into that one pedal, and he'll run that, yeah. but he'll do that like twice over, right. and it'll all go into yeah. like like some sort of splitter box, and then it's just all on all the time. So it's yeah, just that massive. is a huge time. Hey, you got two ears. Might as well have two amps. I say. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> But it's funny, a lot of times though too, I'll use these little artist 30s. It's a 30 watt, but I'll turn it, it's a little combo, but I'll turn it all the way up and um, honestly no pedals in front of it or anything. And it's um, it's just like, it sounds like it's ready to blow up. It's that beautiful. one of those right there? This one right here? That's artist 30? That's the uh, that's the artisan 15, which oh, is okay. like their, their more class right. A or like boutique. Yeah. This one, I don't care what anyone says, you know, whether it's a guitar, an amp, a pedal or whatever, just because it's more expensive, just because it has these parts. Yeah, maybe it's good for long term or whatever, but sometimes I like to run cheap stuff and just really push it to the edge because yeah. all of a sudden you start getting these tones that are just like, like stuff's <laughs> ready to blow up, man, you know? And the way nice. I play, it's funny. All these guys always go, man, the way you play, you know, like it's not like sophisticated where you need like a jazz box or like, you know, you know, not to downplay it or whatever, but like plug in most anything with some just some dirt on it and we'll be all right you know i love that about you man totally true totally <laughs> true but cool i want to ask you too just you know you're right smack in the social media generation yeah and you're launching a career and it seems to be going well for you yeah what's your approach to all these different platforms and what are yeah. your do's and don'ts or how do you feel about it how much time a day do you spend oh thinking about it and or doing it it's funny because uh, like anything with the social media, it seems to be changing all the time, right? So like the big things I'm always like, when I think about social media, I'm Facebook and Instagram, you know? Um, it's funny because Instagram for what it is, man, it's such a powerful tool. Um, you, it literally, you can take a guy like me and you could take, if you play the, I call it playing the game because you got to play the game. It's, uh, it's like a young guy now, if you aren't at least active in some way, putting out little videos, little snippets. And that's what I always do. You know, you have to do it because people, and as sad as it is, you know, younger people, if they see a guy who's an amazing guitar player, who's played his whole life and he only has 400 followers or 200 followers and 30 people watched his video, they're, they're not going to think you're legit. Like it's sad. And, and I don't feel that way about players whatsoever. But in order to make impact and make, make some sort of career where people relevant around the world, it's funny because like even for me, I started posting little snippets of guitar videos and pictures of the gear I love and like pictures of the stuff I play. And it's like, you have to do it now almost to brand yourself. It's all about branding because um, a lot of guys where I see they fall short is maybe, um, I, don't, I don't know how to say it, but like they take it too personally. It's almost like you have to put it out there. Like, like you got to be your own machine sometimes. And uh, the way I look at it is the more people that I can win over in 30 seconds or 60 seconds, that's more people that are going to come to a show. That's more people that are going to hopefully potentially buy a record and listen to the music or just tell their friends, you know. And um, I always try and keep stuff really basic. And um, I want people to, like, understand me as a player in that little snippet of time, you know, because there's so much going on now in the world and with social media that if someone stops on a video of you and they watch it, that in itself is a big thing, you know? And there's a, a, tons of guitar players that I love and respect that don't have the social media reach. And it's it's just a weird one, you know? What, and, what advice do you give to them? 
that. Uh, <laughs> so as far as getting just started, try and be more, uh, maybe like just be more selfless about it and just post, not post to brag or to boast about anything, but just literally just the stuff you love. That's what I try and do is be true to the stuff I love. So I'll play the tracks or whatever. And it's like, just doing that alone has won over so much for me, you know? And it's funny because it's sad that that's the world we live in, but like, you gotta be online because you can, you can connect with everyone. If I play a riff right now in 30 seconds, I could have a blast into the world and people all over the world can listen to it, you know? And it's just, it's a weird time, but like, I think it's very important, you know? Well, thanks for that. Man, thanks for uh, meeting today and jamming, Jared. Oh my goodness, thank you so much. Uh, I'm a big fan of the uh, of what you're doing and everything that you've done, and you've helped me so much over, you know? Oh, I mean, like okay. I said, when I moved to LA, Jude Gold was one of the first people I met, so it's just yeah. really crazy. Well, we had to choose someone to give that scholarship to, Oof. and you were an easy choice, my That's friend. That's hilarious. <laughs> I remember the day, all of a sudden, you were going to win a guitar. I won a... Uh, the Jerry Horton Schechter model. You're always winning guitars. Yeah, you won Jerry Horton. <laughs> and I won off. the Les Paul. <laughs> you won a Les, that was a fun contest. And Absolutely. It was kind of like our little American Idol at MI. It was Ten that. guitar players. Mm-hmm. And the winner walked away with a beautiful Les Paul. But better than that, you met Phil Jargui, because I had him as one of the judges. Yes. And so much happened from that. He just jumped on it. He's like, I'm going to manage this kid. Yeah, he you comes up to me. a manager out of that deal. Hey, hey, he comes up to me and he goes, hey, man, so uh, when can I hear your band play? I was like, I don't have a band. I'd been in LA for like two months. I don't have a band. Do you have any songs? Not really. Do you know how to sing? I don't think so. <laughs> like everything. He's like, well, try this and try this and try that. Come over, check out my studio and get back to me. And then I realized that was like a point in time for me when I went, wow, this is someone that's that could really help and that I could grow, maybe start to do something with, you know, because as a lot of guitar players, you, we always go, man, I want to front my own band. I want to have my own trio. I want to play solos. No one's going to tell me what to do. And I took that time and I thought to myself, man, this could be one of those moments where if I seize it, um, maybe something cool will happen. And now here we are six years later and it's cool. And you're rocking the planet. <laughs> rocking the world, baby. Way to go. Cool, man. Um, What's one of your big solo jams? Like, is there a simple like chord progression you jam yeah. over? Oh yeah, there's a. Uh, um, it's called "All Your Pain." It's like All the ending pain. outro jam. We started doing it when we started playing with the Skinner shows because we were like, man, we gotta have something that's like anthemic, you know? So right. it's uh, uh, and just that right there. What was there a little thing in there?
So yeah, I know I kind of got the car theme going with this episode with Jared James Nichols, but but work with me for a second. Is it exciting to see a Jeep tearing down a dirt trail in full-on 4x4 mode? Yeah, kind of. Is it exciting to see a dragster tearing down the drag strip at top speed until the parachute pops out? Yeah, kind of. But what's really exciting is Steve McQueen driving a 61 Ford Falcon on the sidewalk hubcaps flying off just barely making it through saving himself and not killing anybody that's exciting and that's how jared james nichols plays guitar in my opinion and that's what i love about his playing man he makes those tubes sizzle he knows how to go for it so i hope he inspires you to go for it as well and i hope this episode inspires you to check out audio technica that's audio-technica.com because that's how you can thank them for bringing you this episode. My name is Jude Gold. Tomorrow night, September 22nd, I play with Jefferson Starship in Las Vegas at The Nugget. Come say hi. Yeah, old school style. Going to be fun. That's the same night of Jared's tour, which starts in New Jersey at the Newton Theater. I'll post the tour dates on the No Guitar Safe Facebook page. And a big thanks to Guitar Player Magazine for supporting my podcast as well. Celebrating 50 years in print at guitarplayer.com. And also thanks to Zoom for the recorders that I use to record these interviews. And thanks to Phil Jargui and Swing House Studios, full-on recording and rehearsal facilities in Los Angeles. Very cool spot. That's where we did this interview. Again, my name is Jude Gold. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep it alive to 95. No, the time is safe.